Well, good morning. We are glad that you're here with us today and you've chosen to join us online. Uh, as Scott mentioned, we are hopeful that we're going to be back in the room together, uh, at least outside or maybe back in uh, the auditorium. We're going to see how that all goes. We're watching the numbers. We're watching uh, just how many people for us, the primary numbers we're, we're trying to keep track with, or how many are in the hospital, <coughs> excuse me, how many are in ICU, and what kind of trend are we seeing as far as what's happening in our city. So uh, we're glad that you're joining with us. I just want to say thank you to all that have participated in our small groups online, uh, for those who have continued to give online, and just join us here. Uh, with your conversation, with comments, and just being a part of our community. We love how you rally around each other, uh, keep up with each other during the week, um, sharing prayer requests. So it's really been a beautiful thing for me to watch in our church community, and I'm really looking forward to being back together again, uh, serving together again, and doing uh, just doing life together. So we're continuing to look at ways that we can do that throughout the summer. Uh, we're working on some possible plans for some kids' activities that would be that you would do at home uh, with your own kids, and we would provide some resources, materials, and uh, and then you can do those with your kids as well. So we're looking for different ways to engage and, and just to be able to do life together, even while we're still somewhat distancing apart. For those of you who are headed back to work, we're praying for you. Um, I know this is a, a great time to be able to go back to work if you haven't been able to work because we all need to draw a paycheck. Uh, but uh, it can also be a little bit of a, a scary time. And, and all of that we've been through over these last 10, 12 weeks has led us to what we have called uncertain times. And a lot of people have been using that phrase. I want to share with you today a beatitude that speaks a lot to uncertainty. Um, but it it really is the core goal for all believers for all time. And as we unpack these, I want us to start back in the beginning. We're going to understand and, and look through the Beatitudes in the way that Jesus taught them, laid them out, not as individual attitudes, not as individual thoughts, but instead it was this wholeness of what it looked like to know God and to walk with God. And uh, I want us to remember the audience in which Jesus is speaking to. This is a group of people, uh, they are the down and out. They don't have anything together. They are the poor, they are the sick, they are the crippled. Uh, they have seen Jesus do some incredible things. They have come to him for healing, and they have gathered just in droves around him. Jesus has just started calling his first disciples, um, but yet they're all following him because he he seems to have just command of life and health and can do these incredible miraculous things uh, that he begins to teach this very specific sermon called the Sermon on the Mount and he begins this sermon with the Beatitudes which again are not attitudes you're supposed to be as it's a checklist we use it that way often as pastors uh, Beatitude literally comes from the Latin that means blessed because these Beatitudes are talking about what does it mean to be blessed and and we've discussed blessing uh, you know, if you uh, something good happens to you, you may snap a picture, put it on Instagram, hashtag blessed. But the idea of blessing in Scripture is the idea of being consecrated, set apart, holy. But it is also this dual idea of just this incredible happiness that you can't even fully explain this joy and this happiness that you have. And, and there's a lot of us that that's what we are looking for. We're all looking for that in some in some ways. And for some, this quarantining and social distancing has cost you more in happiness than it's cost others. Uh, but I want you to recognize that these Beatitudes, they are still true today. And, and what we want to talk about today is the Beatitude are blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But for us to understand what that means and how do we get there, there are going to be three questions we have to answer. The first one is, well, what does it mean to be pure in heart? I do not feel pure in heart. Uh, what does it look like to be pure in heart? The second is, well, so what does it mean to see God? Does it mean that like his face appears in front of us? What does it mean to see God? And the third thing is, well, how do we approach purity if we ourselves do not believe that we are pure? 
But for us to understand all of that, we have to understand it in the context of the other Beatitudes. And so far, this is where we have been, Matthew chapter 5. If you want to follow along, you can follow along on Version as well. We have all our song lyrics on Version. We have all, uh, most of my message notes are on Version. If you want to know the link to give or to pray, um, you can find those on Version as well. And you can follow Version throughout the week through reading plans and just reading scripture um, with friends or alone. Uh, it's just a great tool. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, these kind of down and out people that are following him, that are his disciples, but they're not the 12 disciples because he's just now starting to call the 12 disciples. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And as we've rolled through those Beatitudes so far, we know that the first two really go hand in hand, the poor in spirit and those who mourn. And what we've discovered is that people who are blessed, blessed are those who trust in God more than anything else. Those are those poor in spirit. They're not middle class in spirit. They're not rich in spirit. They're just poor in spirit. They're not relying on themselves. They're relying on God. Blessed are those who trust in God more than anything else and mourn over the brokenness that sin causes in people and the world. The kingdom of God literally belongs to them. And that mourning is so crucial when we move to the beatitude of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because we understood righteousness in the terms not just of being right or doing right. We get in so much trouble uh, with our friends and with people who don't know Christ when we as Christians go around saying we're right all the time. Well, we may be right about God, but being right about God does not express itself in aggressiveness trying to tell everyone how terrible they are. Instead, we have experienced a reunion with God that is beyond words that we want everyone to experience. But blessed are the meek, for they shall be comforted. Those Blessed are those who quietly and humbly use strength from the Holy Spirit. They inherit the earth. And blessed are those who yearn not only to do what is right or to be right, but blessed are those who yearn to heal relationships between people and God. These yearnings will be satisfied. And remember that idea of righteousness is not just about being right versus wrong, black versus white, white versus black. And instead, it is about healing relationships between people and God. It's the idea of being doing right by someone, doing right by your kids, right by your friend, right by your parents, right by your spouse, doing right by God, God doing right by us, God keeping his promises, being who he says he, he is, and doing within our lives what he says he's going to do. There's that healing of relationships that is crucial in the idea of righteousness, that we are not only reconciled to God, but we want to reconcile with other people, and we also want other people to be reconciled with God. That yearning that you have is going to be satisfied. All of these still stem from that idea that we are trusting our faith is in God, that he is real, and he is drawing us somewhere. And in doing that, that totally envelops our life. I, I would ask you, and if you want to put in the comments and, and share with each other, um, we're going to go through the comments at the end of the service if you'd like to join us for an ongoing conversation about this. Uh, what are you consumed with right now? Are you consumed with the idea of what you're going to do? Are you consumed with getting back to as much normality as possible? Are you consumed with working as much as you can because you couldn't work for a few weeks and now you've got to earn some to pay back those bills uh, that maybe you're even late on? What are you consumed with? Are you consumed with entertainment? Have you watched every show that's on Netflix now? Are you uh, watching every documentary? So far, we apparently have talked about Joe Exotic today uh, here. Uh, we've talked about the Flat Earth Society. I, there, I, you know, there's all kinds of wonderful documentaries that you can laugh with and you can watch, and some serious ones too. Please don't take take it that we believe in the Flat Earth 
society. But um, we have lots of fun talking about the things that entertain us. Are you watching the latest movies that are coming out? What, you know, what, what are you consumed with? Are you consumed with video games or maybe a hobby that you've not been able to follow for a while? Maybe you're consumed with taking care of your house because you're stuck at home and there's not a lot that you can do, but you know what you can do is you can work on your house and fix up all those projects that you haven't been able to do. What what are you consumed with? In all honesty, I'm somewhat consumed with all the home projects I've been looking at for two years that need to be done. And it's important that in this time when we don't have some of the same opportunities to get out and do what we normally do, that we recognize what are our inner yearnings, our motivations. What's driving us? What's pushing us? This is what Jesus is talking about when he comes to blessed are the pure in spirit. And just as we talked last week about blessed are the merciful, those next three beatitudes that that follow after those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those next three beatitudes demonstrate the heart of those who are yearning for reconciliation and our relationships with each other and our relationships with God. Blessed are the merciful, verse 7, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, we'll talk about next week, for they shall be called sons of God, which is an incredible designation for the peacemaker. But as we go through here, when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, you're going to begin to exhibit these characteristics. Mercy, being pure in spirit, being a peacemaker. Blessed are those for the merciful. This is what we talked about last week. For those who withhold punishment when it's within their power to punish. Because that's exactly what God has done for us. When someone says something stupid, do you make sure to tell them how stupid they were for saying it? That's a way that we can punish somebody whenever we have the ability to punish. Whenever somebody says something silly, do you make fun of them in front of everyone else? Or maybe you're that person, like I'm normally the one who says something silly. and But, but we withhold punishment when we are merciful. Wrapped up in this idea of mercy is the idea of forgiveness. Blessed are those who give who forgive when they could punish. Do we regularly look for opportunities to forgive others? If you are not aware of your own need to be forgiven, I will tell you right now you're not very self-aware because we all make mistakes. We all say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. We hurt people even when we don't intend to hurt them. And we need forgiveness. And in our relationship with God, this is the idea that we have sinned against God and we need to be forgiven. We have, we have hurt him. We need to be forgiven. And he chooses to forgive us through Jesus Christ. And through that mercy that we receive, Scripture says it's so beautiful, these mercies are new every day, which is good because I can go through some mercy, right? Probably you can too. I can, I can burn through some mercy because I can say and do things I, I really wish I hadn't said or done and hurt people in ways that I really wish I hadn't hurt them. So blessed are the merciful. And the beautiful thing of this blessing is that you're going to actually receive mercy. And what I find interesting are some of these beatitudes are specifically and strictly for our relationship with God, like God's going to show us mercy. But I have found that when you do life with people that you regularly show mercy to, they have a tendency to show that mercy back. They have a tendency to forgive you when you need to be forgiven if you're regularly forgiving them. They have a tendency to withhold punishment or to not make fun of you or, or, or to not try to hurt you when you do something silly. They, they tend to do that when they see that that is the posture of your own heart. Now, as we move into blessed are the pure in spirit and, or, and, and or, excuse me, pure in heart, for they shall see God, I want you to, to recognize that for every person who has ever seriously considered God, this is what we have always wanted to see God. And remember, not too early on in our ministry, but fairly early on in our time of starting journey, I went through a period of time where I felt like we were just kind of going through the motions. We were just doing things. I could I could put together a sermon, we could put together a weekly program, we could put together the music and, and we could just we could do it and you know what? If God showed up, great. And if God didn't show up, we're still going to pull off something that was pretty reasonably good. 
And it, it began to just wear at me. And I began talking with my friends that were doing some really in, incredible ministry in their communities and around the world. And I remember talking to them and just saying, you know, I, what I really just want to see is I just really want to see God doing something that only God can do. It was a way for me to articulate, I just want to see God. Do you ever have that moment where you just, you are doing life, you are going to work, you are paying your bills, you're going out to eat, and you got a pretty good life, but there's something missing. And for those that have grown up with a knowledge of God, there's something in you that just says, I just want to see God. I, I just want this to make sense. I just want to know that this is real. I just want to experience the enormity, the majesty, just the incredibleness of, of who God is and who he says he is, because I can live my life missing that. I, I know I go through those periods of time. I know I struggle at times with what does that look like for me? What does that look like for other people? As we uh, come together as elders and staff, this is one of my, my primary hopes is that we help people to see God. But what does that look like? What does it look like for you in your life? What does that prayer look like for you when you're sitting in front of your computer at work and you're just thinking, you know what? I just feel like my life is mundane. I just wish I could experience something supernatural. Now, we try to do that in lots of different ways, and we try to fill that holes in lots of different ways. Sometimes we, we do binge on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever show, whatever streaming service you use. Sometimes we try to fill that with uh, just activity. We want to go and do everything we can do, and we just want to keep our mind busy, which is one of the reasons so many are struggling right now. We have so, as a as a culture and as a society, embraced busyness as an escape from what is the real longing and yearning of our heart, that we are not able to fulfill those yearnings in the same way we were. And that deeper yearning of knowing and experiencing and seeing God is becoming more and more apparent as we feel more and more empty with our distractions not being available to us. What does that look like for you within your life and the yearnings that are coming out in you, these deep motivations, these deep heartfelt prayers that happen within you? Maybe you don't even want anyone else to hear, anyone else to see in you, but that you lay yourself bare before God saying, God, please just rescue me out of this, this thing, this experience, this place that I'm in. What does that look like for you? Because what Jesus says is that if you want to see God, you must be pure in spirit. And yet, Scripture also seems to say you can't actually see God, and he doesn't walk among us the way Jesus did, and he doesn't appear to us the way we sometimes read about in Scripture where a hand appears and writes on a wall. So what does it look like for us? That's when Scripture actually goes and says you can't actually see God. What is this blessing and what leads us to this blessing of seeing God, experiencing God, and experiencing the supernatural thing? As he talks about this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus is often referring back to Old Testament Scripture. And likely there are two Psalms that Jesus is probably thinking about as he's teaching about this idea of being pure in spirit. One is Psalm 24, and the second is Psalm 73. This is what Psalm 24 sound, uh, says. Listen, it sounds very similar to the Beatitude. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? This is Psalm 24, 3 through 6. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Or, in other words, who can see God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Which, remember that receiving righteousness is that being made right with God. This idea, that hunger and thirsting for righteousness. You, it, For those who seek to be in this holy place and to see God, they must have clean hands and a pure heart. And they're going to receive this blessing 
of righteousness being restored to God, the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Does that not sound very similar to, to the beatitude that Jesus has just shared? Something that he's teaching on, that he's somewhat repurposing, but yet contains the same message that was shared by the psalmist? We see kind of four things here. Well, what does it look like to have clean hands and a pure heart? Number one, they do not lift up their, their soul to what is false. How many times do we agree with or intertwine ourselves with things that are false? Because they feel good. Because our friends do them or they say them. Or because this is what makes us acceptable or accepted amongst those who are around us. They lift their soul up to things that are false. The second thing it says is they do not swear deceitfully. In other words, they don't make promises they don't keep. Like they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. They say they are something, they are that thing. And this is where one of our greatest core values at Journey and one of my core values I try to live out within my own life is that of authenticity. That you are inside the exact same person as the person that you project. That's why I often will say we're not any better than you think we are. We're probably not any worse than you think we are either. We try to show a more honest, authentic depiction of who we really are inside. This is not exactly what Jesus is saying in the sense of just be who you are honestly, but that is the beginning point for clean hands and a pure heart. What God is interested in is what's going on inside of us. Is the thing that we're projecting, either at church or at home or at work or among our friends or our neighbors or the spiritual people that we know or the unspiritual people that we know, do we project a different person depending on who we're with because we want them to think that we're something that we're not or do we project who we are? I will tell you there is a place of misery in a world in which you have to pretend to be something you're not. And yes, there's a fear of... Well, maybe I won't be accepted. Maybe people won't like me. Maybe people won't um, want to be around me if they knew who I really am. But at the same time, that is the foundation for real friendship. You cannot truly be friends with someone if they don't truly know what's going on inside of you. This, this idea of swearing deceitfully is, is doing one thing, but actually meaning another. You can only have those true, good, real friendships when you can be honestly who you really are with them. And they can be honestly who they are with you. This is approaching the idea of the pure in heart. What's on the inside is what's on the outside. What's on the outside is what's on the inside. Because when there's a conflict there, and you know what that conflict looks like, you especially if, if you're a teen who is watching right now, if you're if you're growing up in a world that is very hypocritical, you can sniff it out. And there are a few things that will turn a person off more than hypocrisy will. And yet this is what Jesus is saying. Do not allow that hypocrisy to seek into your own life. The third thing we see in Psalm 24 is that this blessing that comes, this authentic pureness of heart and we'll talk a little more about what does that look like this authentic pureness of heart the blessing is you'll receive salvation and talking about who is this pure in heart fourth thing we see here is that this is who seeks god now we could go through a checklist of what it looks like to seek god but you know inwardly whether or not you are seeking god you know the things you're seeking they dominate your thoughts They dominate what you spend your time on. They dominate what you spend your money on. Those are the things that you are seeking. What are you seeking right now? Is it an escape from a situation you're in? Is it a better financial position? What what are you seeking? Because this blessing is for those who are seeking God and they're spending their time searching for and following him. James 4.8 says this about those who seek God. He, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, which is really a wonderful thing that James gives us because it means that I only have to go part way. 
One of my favorite uh, movies um, that I like to watch is uh, a Will Smith movie called Hitch. I don't know if you all have seen it, but there's this wonderful scene uh, between he, he and Kevin James in which he's trying to teach Kevin James how to get the girl, and then what's he going to do whenever uh, it's time to, to do the first kiss? And so they're standing in a doorway, and Will Smith is standing there jingling his keys, saying, I'm waiting for you to make a move. And he makes this rule for Kevin James, who Kevin James cannot follow, and he says, you come part way, and then you wait for me to come the rest of the way. And the, the idea is, is that as you come in for that first kiss, you do not go all the way. You come in and you kind of make an offer and you wait for them to come the rest of the way. And of course, Kevin James, in all hilarity, goes all the way, kisses Will Smith, who's now wiping his mouth and walking away and can't believe what just happened. And he says, no, you come part way, then I come part way. Uh, it's a hilarious movie. We love to watch it. But that idea is what James is telling us. It, it is not wholly incumbent upon you to go all the way in seeking God. You just have to draw near him, and then he will meet you. It's a beautiful promise because it's not all up to me. I don't have to be perfect. The idea of pure in heart can lead us to the belief that somehow we have to be perfect. And I will tell you if that's the case, then no one will ever be blessed to see God because no one is going to ever act out of that perfection. James promises you come part way, God is coming way. I apologize for now the imagery of kissing God. That's not my intention, but it is the idea that we don't have to go the whole way. We meet somewhere in the middle. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's an idea of drawing near that is about cleansing our inner self. And whether you feel it or not, you are drawn to cleanse your inner self. It is what you are born with. This is the image of God within you. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit within you to cleanse that which is inside. When we are not actively working to cleanse what is inside, then life begins to feel dull. We begin to get discouraged and depressed. Life begins to fall apart, and we begin to be more and more empty. That is when we take on the idea of what the world wants us to be rather than what God wants us to be. That leads to emptiness. This is one of the reasons that as Christians, you either go all the way in your relationship with God or you don't go any of the way. Jesus uh, described it like this. You either need to be hot or cold. Because if you're somewhere in the middle, then God's going to spit you out of his mouth. Either be hot or cold. Either be in or out because the worst place to be is to walk the line because then you're not actually drawing near to God but yet you're doing the activities that say you're drawing near to God but you're feeling that emptiness because you're not cleansing that internal self as that emptiness grows and you're doing all these religious activities that you think are supposed to make you feel full and happy all of a sudden now you just feel like God is worthless and it's not that God is worthless or that God is meaningless, it's that we're trying to live two different lives and God does not bless that endeavor. Draw near to him. Cleanse your heart. Psalm 73 is the second psalm that he's probably looking at, and he says this um, in verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, we know that in the Old Testament, God is working primarily and almost completely in the nation of Israel. These are his people. This is how he's showing his presence in his work. And we know that now that Jesus has come, we could, we could reframe Israel to followers of Christ and say, and we could reread, I think, honestly, Psalm 73, 1 to say, truly, God is good to those who follow Christ to those who are pure in heart. He's good to those who are pure in heart. He blesses those who are pure in heart. And what we see over and over here, and we see this throughout Scripture, is that God is more concerned with what's going on inside of your heart 
than what other people see on the outside. And let's be honest, we live in a culture that we are very good at portraying a false image. We say this in the business world. We say, until you are the person that you think you are or that you're trying to sell yourself to be, we fake it till we make it. There's a lot of truth to that in the sense of if you don't have a portfolio, if you don't have experience, if you don't have a history, then somehow you've got to kind of get your foot in the door and so you kind of fake it till you make it. You can't do that in your faith. We can't fake it till we make it. We either have it or we don't have it. And this is, again, where either we're hot or we're cold. We're, we're not somewhere in between. It, 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 now, the difference between hot and cold does not mature and immature. You can be hot and immature, right? You can't be cold and mature. But you can be hot and immature, and you can grow in your maturity and still be hot. And so as we kind of walk through this, what does it look like for, for us to show on the outside the same thing that's going on on the inside? And it reminds me of a couple of places where uh, David teaches us what this really looks like. The first one is his calling, who is going to be the king to replace Saul. And we read this in 1 Samuel 6, Samuel or 16. Uh, Samuel has come looking for the replacement for Saul. And all of these sons of Jesse come before him that are tall and strong and look like they could be a great king. And yet David, who was the youngest one, who was the softest of all of the brothers, who's not even there, Samuel thinks he's probably found him, but God gives him a very important instruction on what he looks for, not what Samuel should look for. And it says, when they came, he looked on Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I mean, just looking at you, you look like you're a king. You look like you should be the king, you know, the one who should replace Saul. Surely the Lord's appointed is anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is our challenge because we are so good at sizing things up based on what we see. That's not the way God works. He wants to know what's going on in here. That means sometimes a person that you don't think is all that spiritual maybe a spiritual giant, or that person who's always talking about spiritual things is actually a spiritual baby. Outward appearance, it distracts us. We can fake it, but God sees right through it. He's more concerned about what's going on on the inside rather than the outside. Uh, if you'll remember, as we've looked at several of these, he's, he says, if you, now if you want to practice this as a checklist, then you need to make sure that you do it better than the scribes and Pharisees. He does it with this one as well. And it says this in Matthew chapter 23. This would be later. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside may be clean. In other words, you've got to worry about what's happening here. The scribes and Pharisees were all about the outward show. They were all about being religious and make sure they didn't use bad language. They made sure they showed up at the church when they were supposed to. You know, the scripture even tells us that they would, when you were supposed to have, uh, you know, long hair uh, to, to show your compliance um, to the law, they would make sure it was super long. And then for their tassels that would be on their prayer garments that they would walk and, and, and live in, that was kind of their normal garment. They would make sure their tassels were longer than everyone else because it would show they were more compliant than all the other people that had shorter tassels. They were experts at making a show of religion. And Jesus said they had nothing. That show meant nothing to God. Maybe it means something to other people. It meant nothing to God. Our religious shows are exactly the same. They mean nothing to God. They may mean something to other people, but they don't mean anything to God. That's why we have to be so careful about what we teach and how we live and what the way we, we walk. Because there are some people that are really good at talking about spiritual things, but they don't live them out. They, they're, they're dirty inside. They're just nasty, filthy. But on the outside, they wash themselves as wide as can be, and they talk a good game, and the problem is, is they never lead people to truly see God. 
because they're teaching a false gospel. The gospel of behavior modification, not that our hearts are made new through Christ. It's an incredible thing that Jesus is saying here. And just one phrase, blessed are the pure in heart, as he ties in this all these things from the Old Testament, they're going to get this sense that it's not enough. You know, it's, it's, it would be easy to look and talk about the poor in spirit. Well, here's a group of poor people listening to him. It, it, talk about the meek. Well, here are people that have no strength, no influence within their culture. You know, you, you talk about those who are hungering and thirsting. They don't even have enough to eat. Surely the kingdom of God is for those people that are poor and are sickly and they have nothing. That is not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying you have the opportunity because of those experiences to pick up on what I'm saying quicker than most people. But it's not enough to just be poor. It's not enough to just be sick. It's not enough to not have influence within a culture. You have to be pure in your heart. The inside has to be clean. So what does that look like? There is a difference in external behaviors and internal realities. You know this is true. I don't have to talk about this. You know this is true. We all do this in one way or another with some, at some point within our lives. He's not looking here for a change of behavior in his listeners. He's looking for a change of their hearts. Now this is, becomes crucial for us to understand what he is saying here. Our hearts determine who we are not our behaviors. And there's nothing more frustrating than to find yourself within a group of friends that think you're somebody based on your behavior, but to feel that they don't really know who you are. That is an empty relationship. That is an empty friendship. We're looking for this holistic idea. So that leads us, that's kind of our first question. What does it look like to be pure in heart? That leads us to kind of our second question of, what does it, how do you become pure? Uh, and, I, and, and instead of perfect, I want us to think of purity versus impurity or clean versus dirty, not perfect versus imperfect, because that's a place that we can't ourselves reach, kind of pure versus impure. In Psalm 119, it says, how can a man keep his way pure? That seems like a pretty good place to look and see, well, okay, how, how does a person be pure? And he says, by guarding it according to your word, with my whole heart I seek you. Ah, we've heard this before. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So the psalmist here is saying purity is closely linked to two things, seeking God and living out God's word. These two things seem to be crucial in the idea of what does it look like to pursue purity. They're saying here, live according to God's word, seek God with your whole heart, and the idea is so that we won't Pursue sin. We won't sin. Think about God's word and his character regularly. How much do you sit around just thinking about God? Not about what God would do for you or you wish God would do for you, but just who is he? What is he? If we're made in his image and we're to more perfectly reflect his image, doesn't it make sense that in order to do that, we should have a pretty good idea of what his image is? Who is God? How, how often do we reflect on on him and his character and his word, and then live out God's word with joy, not begrudgingly, like, okay, I'm going to do this, but I don't want to do this, but live this out. This is what it looks like to pursue purity. This is what we have. We have his word that he has given us. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, I came to show you what it looks like when you actually live it out. I've come to show you what it looks like when it's fulfilled. This salvation is not just grace that you don't go to hell, but instead this is a way to live out the image of God in the way you were always intended. 
And those people who are seeking to live that out in the way we were intended to live, those are the ones who will see God. So while behavior modification may be a part, it's something that has to follow an inward transformation. So in other words, if we exercise all the behaviors, but nothing's happening inside of us, those behaviors really are meaningless except and whatever benefit they give us with other people who like those behaviors. This is what it looks like. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 talks about regaining purity if you don't have it or if you've lost it or if you walked away from God for a period of time. And he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're all sinful. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. There's a role of confession in the regaining of purity. Psalm 51, going back to the Old Testament, again, this is that other passage of David I mentioned. David recognizes this, and, and this is after his time of, uh, of adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah killed, his good friend, one of his mighty men, having him killed on the front lines of battle so he could wed Bathsheba, he finally comes to the place of recognizing how wretched his sin is, how dark he's become, and how impure he is in his heart. And this is what he says in Psalm 51, 10 through 12. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Again, that's that idea of the rightness is in relationship with God. If we confess, I'm jumping back to 1 John 1, 8. Cast not me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So again, this confession, create a new heart in me and restore me to the joy that has now been replaced with emptiness. So the idea of confession and repentance are those things that are required to lead us back to purity, which again requires a, and a bit of self-awareness. What is deep, dark, and dirty within me? So that's the second question. What does it look like to be restored to that? The third question is, well, then what does it look, what does the blessing look like, right? And, and maybe for you it looks a little different than it does for me, but what does it look like to see God? It does not look like God in his shining robes and his, you know, beaming light of a head or whatever your image of God is. It does not mean that all of a sudden he appears. You turn around and he's there and you're like, whoa, there's God. What does it look like to see God? Now, the Old Testament tells us and the New Testament tells us it's, this is actually a blessing that's not physically possible. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. <laughs> No one has ever seen God, the only God who was at the Father's side. He has made him known. Exodus 33:20 says, but he said, you can't, this is God, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Even the disciples, having walked with Jesus, struggled with this idea of seeing God and Philip says to Jesus, how, like, how do we, how do I, I want to see God? Because there is within every person who has faith a desire to see God. Within every single person who has faith, there is desire. You may describe it differently. You may use different words, but there is a desire within you to see God. Philip, in this conversation with Jesus, is very interesting. This is what how Jesus responds to him. Philip said to him, Jesus, in John 14, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. In other words, let us see God, and you don't have to do anything else. We'll believe, we'll do anything you want. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. In other words, we can't see God, but Jesus shows us what God looks like. He says, saying this is the idea of the Trinity, the three in one God, where other religions have sometimes criticized Christianity for being, you know, polytheistic. In other words, we have lots of gods where Christianity, we would say we are monotheistic. There is one God, and yet Scripture tells us there are three persons of that one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But it's not like seeing God physically with our eyes. So what does it really look like to see God? For me, to see God is to see his work in the world, to know that he is real. It's to see him for who he is, his character, and, and to understand if I'm made in his image, what is that image? It's understanding what he wants from me and, and understanding when he looks down at me and he says, Mark, you should do better. It's also knowing that God looks down at me and he, he, he shows me, God, Mark, you, you're, com- you're coming along. Like, okay, you're not there, but you're better. You're getting there, right? I, I see and I understand more. I see Jesus and his work within my life through the Holy Spirit. And through that, I can see God. And within this seeing God is contained not just knowledge, but is contained the fullness of joy and happiness that can only be described biblically as a blessing. And when we see God, all of a sudden we are full. Reminds me of Moses when he went up on to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and he had to shield his face because he couldn't see God. And as he passed by, even though he did not see the face of God, as he walked down from the mountain, he glowed. Because when you see God, it changes you. Glow, you're filled This is what we seek as followers of Jesus. We want to be filled with him. Also a picture, an image of what it may look like when we go to heaven. Here's what I want to leave you with. The greatest happiness in all the world is to see God. The enemy and the world wants to convince you that it's everything else. It is fame. It is wealth. It is um, popularity. It is knowing that your every need is taken care of. Every luxury that you can have, you can have within in the world. But yet what God says is the greatest happiness is to see God, to know his salvation, to see his glory. It would be another way to describe it. This is the greatest happiness in the world. And we find it by seeking him by living out his word, and by being pure in heart. The greatest happiness in the world is to see God. We cannot see God unless we are seeking to keep our hearts pure. I would leave you with this thought to think about this beatitude, something I, I think about as well and will continue to think about. What do you take into your heart? What do you allow to pass through all the things that can are kind of the entryways into your heart, your eyes, your ears, your mouth. What do you take in? And is it leading to purity? Or is it leading for some kind of, of, of uncleanness, impurity, dirt that's coming in? And as we said before, that is what leads to emptiness. Even among those who go to church every time it's open or watch the live stream, Every time it's on, maybe even rewatch it throughout the week and you make sure you give your 10% and you make sure that you carry your Bible with you and you at least witness to one person in a day. You can do all those things and feel completely empty inside. Because while all those things are important, they are meaningless without what's happening here. What are you taking in that's kind of diminishing that your joy keeping you from seeing God. What are the things we've asked this before already in this series? What are you yearning for? Like if you could have one thing, what would it be? 
What are you yearning for? What are the things that that just kind of drive you, that drive your time, your thoughts? You know, another good question to ask yourself is what falsehoods do you entertain? Do we believe things that we know aren't true just because we want to believe them? You know, truth is true rather people whether people like it or not. Are we pursuing truth or do we allow things that are false to come in? I will tell you, if you make your decisions on how to treat people based on what you see on TV, what you see on news, what you see on Facebook, then you are taking in falsehoods because God desires to do something completely different through you. You're not going to find a whole lot of mercy on Facebook. You're not going to find a whole lot of hungering and thirsting for righteousness on Netflix. You're not going to find um, a whole lot of uh, seeking to be pure in heart while you're watching the news. You're not going to find those things. Instead, you find those things in spending time and seeking God. I would spend some time this week doing that and remembering this, that blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to pray with you. We're going to... Uh, our worship team is going to lead in one more song, and then Scott's going to join me. That's going to conclude our service. But Scott's going to join me again if you'd like to continue a conversation through the through Facebook comments. Um, we would love for you to be able to do that. Um, and I hope that you'll join us next week. Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, you're going to see a few different things next week, so I hope you'll join us then. And that you will experience this beautiful, beautiful picture of seeing God within your life. Would you pray with me? Father, God, it it feels so confusing what it means to see you when you say we can't see you. And yet there is no other joy greater than being able to experience you in your fullness. Father, I pray that as we close uh, in our time together online, that you would be a, you would give us a glimpse of who you are and what it looks like to fully experience and to see you that you would fill us with hope and joy and happiness the kind that we read about in scripture i pray if there are things that are are impure within our lives we would seek to to deal with those and seek to deal with our own impurities rather than be so focused on everyone else's impurities so that we can deal with the log in our own eye rather than wor- rather than worrying about the speck in everyone else's Father, I pray that you would lead us to this place of pureness of heart so that we can fully see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.